0: I'm Chris Stoker and I'm a physics teacher turned science coordinator. The purpose of this podcast is to interview teachers and to try to pick their brains for some of the great lessons and ideas they've developed for teaching science. I've always thought that crafting good lessons is a creative process and that we really don't get to share that process or the end product with very many of our colleagues. This podcast tries to harvest some of those creative gems and share them as far and as wide as possible. Think of it as bite-sized, inspiring PD from those in the trenches. For this episode, my colleague Becky Fakis and I interview the Idaho science coaches that work for the State Department of Education. Their job is to go out and help teachers improve science instruction teacher by teacher and school by school. I love the tips they shared, but if I'm being honest, I love their stories of why and how they got into education the most. These coaches have fantastic insights, are great thinking partners, Are located in all regions of the state and best of all are paid by the state department so it's completely free for teachers and schools i think you're really going to enjoy their thoughts so let's jump in well all right Mackenzie. thanks for being with us um today why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and um, your backstory with education
1: all right, I'm happy to be here. I have a little bit of an eclectic background with education. I got my undergrad in earth science with a natural science minor in 2008. And uh, I started off as a geology major and and uh, loved teaching. I worked as a lab and teaching assistant in college and just found that as much as I loved the science, I loved helping people understand it even more. Uh, so since then I've been all over the place. I have taught mostly in middle school, but I've also done some uh, adjunct faculty work. Uh, did like a brief stint as a high school teacher, like an emergency sub for half a year, uh, worked. I've done preschool for my kids, homeschool co-ops and, uh, subbed every grade level that there is. Um, just trying to be present with my kids I've got four of them and also be in education so I've kind of taken whatever the school needed me to do in little bits and pieces here and there um I've taught all of the sciences I've taught stem I've also taught like nutrition and health a lot of elective courses that you know allowed me to do part-time and um also done a lot of uh with music and I've done literate like literacy and whatever so yeah eclectic I think is a good word <laughs> But I've been in the game for a long time and transitioned into instructional design in the last couple of years. So I've designed curriculum um, in academia and also in industry. So that's been really interesting to work outside of the education realm and uh, started as a Idaho science coach last year. That is a really eclectic background. Um, <laughs> what drew you, you said
2: you started in geology. So you started out in science and then worked your way into teaching.
1: What drew you to science as a profession to begin with? I love curiosity um, and just being able to have that sense of wonder. I feel like that was a pretty natural thing for me as a kid. I remember my friend and I like tracking the habits of some Canadian geese in our backyard and I had an extensive rock collection and I always had that tendency to want to be able to document. I love data. Anyone that knows me knows I love data. And uh, I just love, love the process of uh, investigating and making sense and trying to come to consensus with, with other people about how the world works. And so ge- geology was my first love. And I got to work with a geochemist at the Idaho National Laboratories and really loved that field. Um, but just being able to help people who struggled, who, who maybe didn't have as much playfulness in the classroom as I did in college, I and mean, helping them fall in love with science was so rewarding. and I, I loved that job. and so it just seemed like a natural transition for me to move into education. And I haven't looked back. That's great. That's a really worthwhile motivation.
0: So I, I loved your thought about, um, you love curiosity, you like people. How do you how do we help kids get more engaged in that in the classroom? Like, what are your tips and tricks for like helping teachers help kids do that?
1: Well, I guess the one thing I promote big time, especially right now, because I'm creating a course, is you know my background is in learning science. I just got my master's in learning science, instructional design, and um, so I'm I'm looking at three dimensional science and how we promote that as Idaho science coaches. Um, but as I've worked with a lot of educators. Universal design has also come up in the conversation. How do I engage all of my learners? How do I help all of them? Because I have some who are falling through the cracks or aren't engaged. And, and I think both of those, three-dimensional science and universal design, really point us to that idea of letting our learners have center stage in their learning, being able to help them be responsible and be have agency, have choice, and have that more of a guide on the side instead of the stage on the stage, right? And so if we want to engage our learners, we have to let them be responsible for the learning, which is so scary. I think some teachers are so scared by that. Sometimes we think that that's a lot of work, but if we, if we do it, when you catch the vision and you know what it looks like, it's actually quite liberating. I think you'll see that sense of curiosity and wonder come back into your classroom more. And that playfulness that we, we have as children inherently, we want to be curious. We are very curious. And, um, and that helps drive engagement up like out the roof.
0: What have you learned being a science coach that you didn't know before about this whole process of either helping people or like doing it 3D better yourself? Or like wh- what have you learned since you've been a coach?
1: Oh, so much. <laughs> I learned so much with the teachers that I work with. And uh they it's it's in a wonderful think partnership. Um one thing I think that I've seen in with all of the teachers I worked with is that we are we get bogged down by by how much we think that we need them to know. And we think we have to cover so much curriculum, like content, right? And we don't always want to make room for the thinking and the doing. And in order to be able to have that curiosity and to give students that agency. We have to allow them to think like scientists and we have to allow them to do what scientists do. And if you're trying to buzz through tons of content, you'll never be able to do it. So I think we have to really start restructuring what we think we need to cover as far as content in our classes. Really look to the standards and think what is actually the most important content and then cut and get rid of some of our content to allow time because when we're allowing them to take agency and responsibility, it is going to be slower. It's going to take more time and we have to allow time for thinking and doing and that, yeah, turning it into their hands definitely slows down the process.
0: Well, this has been fantastic. Um, I love everything you're saying. So I, I love the advice. So thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us. You bet.
3: Yeah. Thanks Mackenzie. So My name is Sarah Tolman. I am a full-time Idaho science coach located out of Boise, Idaho. Um, I originally started my teaching career at Kimberly Middle School where I taught a STEM class and then I moved into seventh-grade Life Science and was there for 10 years.
2: Excellent. Did you always want to be a science teacher or can you tell us why you went into this profession? Actually, no. I was going to be a dentist. And oh. so I had gone
3: to school and had started taking all my science courses and then met and fell in love with my husband and we started a family and my education was put on hold. I was blessed to be able to stay home with my kids until they got to school age and then I got highly involved in their education, parent volunteer, PTSO, you name it, I did it. I subbed everything and then I wanted to complete my education at some point but when I went back, my desire to be a dentist wasn't quite there. No, don't get me wrong. I still totally check out people's smiles. But um, I really had a desire to teach, specifically share my love of science with kids. And so I went back and got my teaching degree and went into the classroom from there and then have become a coach in the last three years because my husband had an opportunity to move with his job And the stars just aligned because of some of the work that I had been doing with the
1: state. And this position was open as well. I think a lot of our listeners can relate to that path into education at some point. You just can't help but go teach science. Yes.
0: So I'm going to pry a little bit into this. So what... So the dentistry stuff, like what... um, What's the science connection? Like what like really got you realizing, oh, I want to teach science, like, and not like health sciences or like preparing kids for being a medical person, which you do as a science teacher, but you could have went like CTE or something like, so what, tell us about that journey a
1: little bit.
3: So for me, it truly was a love of science. I honestly don't know where even the dentist side came from. It just had been there for so long since I was like little. Just had this love of, I guess, teeth, of health for the teeth, Um, but ultimately it was when I started subbing and the more I subbed, and I subbed K-12, and it was fun to go play with the kindergarten kids, but definitely was nice when that day came to an end and I didn't have to return to kindergarten. I stopped high school and thoroughly really loved that, but I also wasn't cool enough to be a high school teacher. <laughs> and I was that awkward, like fit middle school perfectly. And it was one of those sharing, just the joy and fun that can come from doing science that it just really clicked. Like I was the mom that anytime I volunteered, it was kind of a science-y project, a little bit of art, like those were the pieces I was pulling in that it just fit. And the crazy thing was is when talking to some of my college friends, they all just kind of giggled that they're like, yeah, we knew you were a teacher. Like they, right. apparently I had missed out on that demo for a while, but, but yeah, like everybody around me knew that somehow I was going to go into teaching.
0: Yeah. What kind of tips would you give um, teachers to try to, like, help kids catch that same excitement for science?
3: So for me, I really thought about my classroom, and it was starting to build that classroom culture from day one. Like, I had to show them from day one that science was fun. Now, we weren't going to, like, mess around or be inappropriate or anything in class. Like, there were still rules to follow and things like that, but truly letting them experience science. So one of the biggest things for me, and it took me a little while to get there, I'll be honest, like middle school teacher, so relinquishing control can be a little scary Mm -hmm. with middle schoolers. But for me, my biggest shift was like flipping my labs. Instead of teaching and having them know all the content and doing the lab activity at the end, putting that lab activity at the beginning where they can wonder and explore and like truly get engaged and want to know more, it gave me the opportunity to share science content with them and made the class a lot more engaging and enjoyable for everyone. I enjoyed it, they enjoyed it, like it just, my classroom looked different, it sounded different than the other classroom. I remember one of the teachers next door to me actually came and was like looking in the window because she wanted to like what was going on in my classroom and I'm like we were learning.
0: Where did you get the idea to try to that it flipped around like that?
3: It just didn't make sense. After a while, it just didn't make sense that they were coming at the end. Like when I sat down and was like, why am I doing this at the end? We like, we know this. I'm giving them all the steps. They know what's supposed to happen. Like It didn't make sense to teach it that way. Like there was no learning. It was just an activity. It was a time filler that it was one of those, a shift needed to be made. And then it was just kind of a pretty sweet idea that when the standards starting to come out and conversations being had that, no, that is actually 3D teaching and that's the, we need to be doing more of this, that that's the phenomenon, engaging the students.
2: Yeah, doing it the other way around to me has always felt like if I told you the whole plot to a movie before you went to see it. Exactly. Right. Let me watch the movie and then we can talk about what happened. Yeah, that's
1: a really manageable place to start, I think.
0: Yeah, well, that's awesome. Um, Anything else you'd want to tell teachers?
1: To not
3: be afraid to take risks, to try something new in their class, and that they're not expected to have all the answers. It's actually very powerful, powerful for kids and powerful for you as the adult to learn alongside of them. Like, don't feel that you have to have all the answers. It's okay if you don't.
2: That's great advice.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks so much.
2: Thank you. I'm Erica Meadows, and I'm located here in American Falls, Idaho. And that's actually in Region 5, but I do my science coaching in Regions 4, 5, and 6 because I'm kind of in the middle, and I can reach everybody usually within about two hours. Um, so my journey in education started way back in the year 2000, and uh, I taught my first year at Homedale Middle School, because I graduated from College of Idaho in Caldwell, and so I, I taught school there for a year, and then um, at the College of Idaho, I was on the golf team, and I ended up playing golf with Governor Kempthorne's chief of staff one day. <laughs> And so I left education and worked one year for Governor Kempthorne in natural resources and agriculture. So I grew up on a a dry land farm in Rockland Valley, and so farming's kind of in in my blood. And so then after that year, I had applied for Department of Defense dependent schools, which is also known as DODIA, and that's the largest school district in the world because it spans the world and I got stationed in Hohenfels Germany which is about um, an hour north of Munich and so I taught 11 years on an American army base in Germany and I taught the soldiers students um, in grades first first and second multi-age second and third multi-age and third grade so and i've also taught fifth grade and kindergarten and preschool (laughs) so the only grade i haven't taught is fourth grade um so then after 11 years i decided well it's probably time to come home so i came home to american falls and i taught here at american falls school district for 12 years and one of those years i was uh, an instructional coach for all subjects, all grades for the district. And um, then last year, Andrea Bayerwald, my boss, she's actually from my hometown, and she contacted me and and asked about science coaching. And so I said, sure, why not? Sounds like an adventure because nice. yeah. I love, I love adventure. It's in my soul. So I'm like, yeah, let's do this. So I started science coaching last year. And then, so this year's my second year.
0: Very good. I started in the year 2000 as well, teaching. So like, we're, we're in the same group that what what whatever you call that we're. Yeah. Generation
2: X. Yeah.
0: So, um, I mean, did you always want to be a science teacher? I mean, why did you decide to go into teaching?
2: Um, Well, I decided to go into teaching, number one, because I loved it. And I just had a passion for um, education and learning and kids. And, you know, living overseas with Department of Defense. That was awesome because we traveled and were teachers as well, too. So um, science always was a subject in elementary school as a teacher that I thought was very important that not very many teachers did. Even overseas at my school, I was in like a pilot program to be like a STEM classroom and because I did teach science and so a lot of times I think elementary teachers have a hard time getting it into their schedule And so that's kind of like one of my passions as a science coach is to bring science to grades K five and show the importance of it and show how to integrate it too. So that's kind of why I went down the science road.
0: That's awesome. So I I guess on that uh, front, like what give us some tips and tricks. So like, what, what would you recommend teachers do to get kids more engaged in science and maybe, since elementary is your passion, like you, you probably have stuff, ideas about that for us.
2: Yeah. So primarily the schools I work with are elementary schools. And a lot of times it's a teacher who contacts me. Uh, I've also had principals contact me. I think the best tip and trick I have is start with what you have, like maybe a science story in your reading series Look at your standards really closely and see if you can match up some standards with that. And then another tip would be go on the Idaho Science Coach website and find some phenomenon to start your science lesson or unit off with. And another tip I have is wherever you are in the state, there is a science coach out there to help you. Contact them. We love to go into classrooms and model a lesson for for a teacher so she can see three-dimensional instruction in action and then help that teacher and guide that teacher so they are able to do that themselves. And so the best tip I would have is, hey, start small. Look at your standards. How can we integrate this in? let's use some literacy in it, let's use our writing time to explain our thinking, to write our observation, to construct our argument, and really use the whole time that we have during the day. Like we can fit little bits of science in around our reading and math too.
0: Well, I think that's awesome. I love what you shared with us, thank you. Is there anything else that comes to mind that you'd wanna share with teachers across the state?
2: Um, Well, we have got some exciting classes coming up Uh, down here in my area. I have some in-person classes. One of the new ones that I have this year is called Diving Deep into the DCI's, which means we're going to take a really deep look into each area of the disciplinary core ideas. So the first one I have is physical science, and that's the first of in a set of three. And then we're going to look at Earth and space science and then life science. And that course is designed to um, enhance your three-dimensional instruction and give you the background content knowledge that's necessary to teach those standards in your grade. And and what that looks like in kinder versus fourth grade or fifth grade. So um, I'm really excited about these courses. I think they're going to be really great. They come with a free book pack. So go on our website, sign up for these and yeah. That's about it.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing with us and coming on today. Yes, thank you. Well, Wendy, it's great to have you uh, here this morning. Why don't you start off by just telling me a little bit, telling us a little bit about yourself and what you've done in the past and what you're doing now.
4: All right. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate you having me. So um, I've been in education since 2005, 2006. I graduated from Boise State with actually a literacy endorsement. Um, Student taught at Linder Elementary, uh, third grade. And then I was hired the following year at Linder Elementary to teach second grade. And then the next year, some of the third grade teachers retired. So I got to go back to third grade. So third grade's been my jam ever since I started teaching for the most part. Um, Then we were a a Title I school, Um, and so my literacy endorsement came in pretty handy with some of our our lower students and our EL population, but then in about 2012, we transitioned into Barbara Morgan STEM Academy, and believe it or not, I hadn't taught STEM or science since I had taught so I teach partner did the science we swapped kids so I do the social studies or the art or the writing so it was a whole new ball game um my principal actually laughed and was surprised I made it through the first year because I was just kind of culture shock and you know afraid to make mistakes and didn't know what I was doing you know I had to have a plan and he was just like yeah just throw the dart and see where it lands so um I didn't like that uncomfortable feeling. So I jumped into any kind of professional development related to STEM, i did iSTEM. I went to Pittsburgh and did the Mickelson ExxonMobil Academy um, for a week. I did uh, the Boise State Writing Project around when the new science Idaho standards came out. Uh, the Boise State Writing Project had a summer institute where they incorporated it with science. So I was one of the first groups to go through there. And then that led me around the state, you know, teaching districts and schools and principals how the new standards were going to look and the shifts that teachers were going to have to make in order to be able to meet the the rigor of the science standards. And really, that's where my passion kind of started, because as, as I was traveling around the state and talking to elementary, middle school, high school teachers. One, you had middle school and high school teachers saying, we need kids coming prepared with more science. And you have elementary teachers saying, I don't feel comfortable teaching science, and I don't have time to teach science. And so one of my teaching partners and I just started this kind of um, objective to increase science teaching in elementary. And so Um, I took the last year off. Last year I took off um, uh, for some family health issues. I took the year off and then knew that I didn't really want to go back into the classroom. Um, I wanted to pursue more of the coaching and working with teachers. And so that's where I'm at now, working for the State Department as an independent science coach.
0: That's a cool story. So you're like a STEM convert then, you would say. (laughs) You came over from from literacy. Um, uh, I mean, go ahead.
4: I was just going to say, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I first started doing like I-STEM, I remember calling my principal, Ryan, uh, from the dump on a field trip with I stand it's like oh my gosh this is so cool I'm at the dump and he would just laugh and I was just thrilled to be I was so excited and wish I would have uh had more science in my own uh education as a kid.
0: Oh that's great. Um out of all those experiences you had kind of getting yourself trained up and, and finding your passion was there one kind of experience or learning opportunity or training that really like put you over the, I mean, like, was there one that was just really awesome or do you feel like they all incrementally just helped out?
4: Um, well, I think incrementally, I think it was nice to start out small, like I stem stuff. um, but doing the Boise state writing project that was life changing, not just, you know, educationally. Um, Just the way they have their their whole program set up as coaches, coaching teachers or teachers, basically working with teachers and just their whole philosophy of um, being open to making mistakes and trying out new things. And that was really I mean, I did that for a month in the summertime and then two weeks later went to Pittsburgh for a week. And the people in Pittsburgh were just like, Oh my gosh, this is so cool. And I'm like, yeah, but I just came from this month long thing and it was even cooler. So I would say the writing project has hands down been, been the best part for me.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I've, I've heard that fairly frequently from people that have done it. So that's, that's really awesome to hear. Um,
4: what, what, well and it's it's pretty and it's pretty intense so I mean it is a lot of work but when you were done man you really had a grasp of of what was going on and and had some good ideas for how to make change
0: yeah that's great because it feels like it it was developing science leaders not just people that were passionate about doing science in their own classroom but wanted to like sp- spread that message you know and tr- help others so
4: Yeah, well, and I think also, you know, because they were the writing project, they already had a pretty strong, you know, literacy component as part of the project. And so they really also kind of instilled and helped with the integration piece, because I think um, it's hard to just find time to teach science when you have so much math and reading. And so it was really helpful to see how you could do science in these other avenues and still be meeting all the standards. So I think that was another part that made it so life-changing.
0: Okay, why don't you tell us, did you always wanna be a teacher? And and maybe even in, were you interested in, I mean, we kinda know you weren't thinking about science in the beginning, but how about teaching? Were you thinking about going into that from the beginning?
4: Um, oh man, when I graduated from high school, I had never planned in a million years to step back foot in, in a school ever again. In fact, I graduated <laughs> early I did work release, I was working full time. I was like, just get me out of here, get me a job. Um, So no, I did not wanna become a teacher, never even thought about it until I had my own child um, who was born early and um, I decided to become a stay home mom instead of following the career path I thought I would take. And I didn't enjoy school and I saw the curiosity in her and volunteering in our classroom, I saw kids that reminded me of me as a kid who didn't enjoy school. And I I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted all kids to be as curious and excited about learning as my own child did, um, regardless of their background. So that education became a passion through having a child.
0: Hmm, that's great. Do you Did you find that you t- intentionally taught differently? because of your own experience as a kid, and then your experiences with your own child?
4: Absolutely, I think that I have always, and I, I've had a few counselors tell me over the years that I've always made sure to have a really good um, classroom culture where kids felt accepted and not afraid to make mistakes. Um, And a lot of, you know, just life skills, being respectful and responsible, good character traits. Um, We did the seven habits of happy kids where I was teaching at Barbara Morgan. And that was something that I had piloted the year before it became to Barbara Morgan. I've always made sure that I've had that culture in my classroom so that kids didn't come to school feeling like they didn't want to be there. Not to say that there weren't some days or some kids that I didn't always do that with, but that was a culture in my classroom for sure. Wow,
0: that's great, I love it, thank you. What tips do you have? I mean, what have you learned in in all of your experience, you know, and as your role now as a science coach, what tips do you have to share for us about ways to get students more engaged in doing the science and STEM?
4: Well, I think if you're an elementary teacher, I think it's really easy. You just have to do science. Um, Kids are already naturally curious. You just gotta jump in. You have to not be afraid to make a mistake or fail. It's okay if you don't know the science. I, I didn't know the science when I started teaching it. I had to learn it with my kids. So I had to be willing to say, I don't know the answer to that question. How are we gonna figure it out? And the kids didn't always know if I knew it or if I was just playing along. Um, so I think for elementary, you really have to just be willing to fail, celebrate failure, model for your students that um, even teachers who've been in school for a long time don't know everything. There's still a lot out there to learn. And so it helps them to think about becoming a lifelong learner and not squashing their curiosity. Um, Do you have anything else you'd want to share with
0: teachers throughout the state?
4: I think that it's really awesome when you can teach science and kids don't know they're doing science or they don't know they're doing reading or they don't know they're doing math. Like instead of saying from this block, we're doing reading and this block, we're doing math. It's just all day we're learning about this phenomenon or we're trying to problem solve a question in science and we're reading about it and we're analyzing data and we're coming up with arguments. And so when they don't know that they're doing certain things they're able to transfer from different content areas rather than thinking, oh, you know, I only do cause and effect when I'm in my English class and I only analyze data when I'm in my math class. helping them to see that it's a whole package and that scientists don't just wear lab coats and do fun experiments. They also have to write and communicate their ideas and uh, argue and prove with evidence their reasoning.
0: I love that. Yeah, and I love your passion too for it and, and your story's great. And just think, thanks for sitting down and sharing some of this stuff with me today.
4: Absolutely, thanks for having me, Chris. Hi, I'm Marcia Barrett. I am the Region
5: 1 science coach, and I'm also elementary. Well, K-8, but uh, elementary is where that's my jam. I really have fun in elementary school. been teaching for almost 20 years. I've taught in Idaho and Las Vegas, Nevada, and Alaska as well. So Alaska was kind of a bucket list thing, and every one of them is fun. I just love, well, I think teaching is fun, um, and i some not always you know there were always times that it wasn't always fun but science and teaching to me is fun and especially if you're doing hands on things which is science lends itself really well to um what else i went into teaching i think that was one of your questions is kind of not i i wanted to be a teacher since i was like a third grader um always wanted to be a teacher never wanted to be a science teacher and so Um, I was teaching fourth grade and that position was going away and we had too many classes. And so I knew I was going to be moved into a different position and there were four available. And so I went to my principal and I said, I'd really like, you know, the third grade, I think. And um, but if I can't have that one, then there was a combo class. And I said, I'll take the combo class if I have to. And kindergarten, uh, I wasn't really excited about kindergarten, but I'd go there. But please don't put me in the science. We had a science ancillary. And then, I don't know, it was maybe a month later when things are all kind of sorting out. And then my janitor came to me. So take care of your staff people because they take care of you. But he comes in and says, congratulations, I heard you got the science position. And so I was like, oh, no. And I ran to my principal and he said, the way you teach lends itself." teaching science and it's going to be a really good fit for you and you know too bad you're the science you're the ancillary (laughs) science person and so I had to teach 27 science classes you know every day just like ancillary I'd have fifth grade fourth grade all the way down and then I and I worked in three different schools and it was so much fun it was so much fun and I was an instant believer after that and so and he was right that's exactly how I teach and so then i went into you know origami and into robots and you know my science the depth of my science knowledge and the fun things i got to do um, you know batteries and electricity and circuits and and that was before snap circuits were even a thing it was you know we were taking batteries and christmas lights and stripping the ends and you know holding the wires to either yeah. each, each end and and then the little kids like even a kindergartner could do hold a wire on the battery but then we would add switches for the fourth and fifth. So I would be able to drag out whatever unit I was teaching and then teach it all the way from kindergarten through fifth. And so, yeah, that's.
0: Well, that's fun. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, you've taught in three different States then like, have there been things that have felt different um, based on the state you were in or the area, or has it all felt kind of like, it's just the same?
5: <laughs> both. Yes. Both. Okay. So in Idaho, I taught in three, it was one school district, but it was three different schools. And two of the schools had, you know, 250 kids in them, basically like two fifth grade, two fourth grade, two of each grade level. And mm-hmm. then the, so I'd go two days a week to the first school, then two days a week to the second school. And then my Fridays, I went to a little one room schoolhouse that had a K1, a two, three and a four, five. So three classrooms and I teach half a day out there. And And those kids were almost all just like siblings and it didn't, you know, you got 70 kids on the recess playground and it didn't fit. You could see a fifth grader pushing a, you know, kindergartner on a swing and it didn't have to be related. They just, it was such a close knit community. Um, but the teaching was the same. And, you know, the engagement of the children and the lessons that I taught all of that was the same, same when I, the next place I taught was Las Vegas. I don't know, sixth largest school district in the nation or something. And, um, Loved my school, but my school had like 750 kids in it. So then I went from being, you know, a school of 250 to a school of as big as you could get early without adding on to, you know, making the school larger, which they're doing all over Vegas. It's just huge. Um, And loved it. The class sizes were bigger. Um, again, it was super fun and hands-on, and I didn't really have behavior issues with the kids. I did a after school, I ran the first Lego League program. For my small school district in north idaho and then i ran an after-school program for first lego league in my large school in las vegas and same thing you know that that's a really good program for lego league and then i 2020 hit and i didn't want to be in you know when zombie apocalypse right so you don't want to be in the middle of a desert with a million people when the world comes crashing right so that's when i went to alaska and then i was on an island with 1500 people total And when I talked about the school, that that small school that I was in and everybody was like related. Well, on this island, everybody truly was related. And and so I went to I went from Vegas where and I think I'm probably off topic. So sorry. But when I went from Vegas, the safety measures because of and in fact, remember the shooting in Vegas and, you know, there were safety measures and the kids, we would take 750 kids out on the playground and, you know, put some of them on the bus. And the children couldn't just say, there's my mom and run. They had to physically tap out. They had to touch me. And like, whether that's a fist bump or, a you know, tugging on the end of my shirt and say, there's my dad, I'm going to go. And so we always had to have eyes on whoever took that kid. Well, then I get to Alaska and again, super small community. And it's my very first week. And I don't know any of the students or the parents. And they send me out to the little kid hall with, you know, the kindergarten first and second. And I'm I'm trying to, these are the little guys, like, you really have to watch where they go, and um, there were people that would walk up, and they would take their two kids, and then they would look at three more and say, hop in the back of the truck, and I'm not kidding, and it was raining, and so they they, some man came and picked up his two daughters, and then took three more kids, and I was just like, oh my goodness, <laughs> and so, I was seriously having a stroke and I'm like trying to get the attention of the people who did know, you know, who this man was. And he's like, oh, that's her uncle. It's okay. And then, and then they would like toss children like into the back of open pickup trucks. (laughs) I don't know. It was just like completely, (laughs) a completely different place. But going back into the classroom, the teaching was the same. And, you know, we loved Legos and we loved origami and we loved all of the super fun things that I did in every, you know, kids are the same. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's cool. I love the story. Um, you talked about how you kind of fell into science or got pushed into it by your your administrator, but why did you choose to go into education?
5: Well, when I was a little girl, my dad passed away when I was little, and so we didn't have a lot of money. Um, you know, I had a real good mother, but, but teachers were always, this is a super funny thing, like I hope everybody laughs at this, they were all sweet and smart and beautiful, and like I had one probably a second grade teacher who talked about going to Ironman and kissing the Blarney Stone and they were all rich you know (laughs) like they were just beautiful people they were nice all the time they were pretty all the time they were um I don't know I just loved every teacher I ever had and so and the stability you know when you're when you're poor you move a lot and so there's a lot of stability in going to school every day and seeing that same person and you no, know, knowing they're always there to love you and protect you, and you know, I loved who they were, and I loved the life that I expected they had. And I remember doing a science lesson, maybe, probably fourth grade, maybe back then in our social studies book. It's, it's um, maybe it was older than that, fifth grade, sixth grade, but um, we were studying the plague, which makes me think that it wasn't. Um, and then she was talking about her dishwasher and dishwasher is like, I'm not that everybody didn't have a dishwasher back when I was a kid. And so she was talking about how she loved her dishwasher because it made everything sanitary. So again, that went right back to, gee, you know, teachers make a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
0: well, that's great. Thank you for sharing. Um, how about you wrap up here by telling us what are your top tips, you know, for, for teachers to get kids engaged in and maybe excited about science it sounds like you've done a, a nice job of spreading the wonder and fun of science with your kids through the years your students so what are your tips for that
5: hands on hands on hands on like i've never seen a kid who didn't really like a lego and certainly they want it they like them better than worksheets or um so this is i've like just a quick sample these this is origami and Origami has so much science and engineering in it. And so um, I love this origami because you can use this one single piece and make all of those different forms I just showed you. Um, There's a man named Dr. Robert Lang who airbags are possible because of his love of origami. That's a true story. If you wanna look him up, Dr. Dr. Robert Lang. Um, They're teaching origami at MIT now because of Dr. Robert Lang and so that and then there's something called instant challenges. So if you take take a story like Three Billy Goats Gruff and then you have the children build a bridge, or um, I mean n- any of them, you know, name it Jack and the Steep, uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, and they can give them a problem to solve. And it, I know everybody says authentic problems, and I do agree with authentic problems, but we're talking elementary and little bitty kids, and so an authentic, you know, they're not going to build a an actual bridge right but they can build a bridge for the problem of their tiny little billy goats and um or a tower or a building or um yeah instant challenges give them a problem and let them solve it and let them use all the math and the things that you've for an authentic problem you you can do that as well like we had a really bright kid and they were studying area and and uh, my master's is in gifted education and so she came to me and she said i don't know what to do with this kid he already knows all the material and i said and we were already planning to paint the cafeteria and i said have him go figure out how much paint we need in the cafeteria and so then and that that project kind of builds on itself because First, they have to measure all the walls. And of course, there's openings in the, in the wall. So you have to measure that and then subtract that. And then you have to figure out how much paint it covers. And then you have to figure, figure out the best paint to buy and how much money you need, what it costs. And then it can go even further because then, you know, we're already planning to do this. But what if you have to take a, your proposal to the PTA or whoever's buying the paint and say, um, that's an authentic problem. But, you know, that's really hard to do for every kid in yeah. every subject all the time but it is possible to have kids solve problems real problems or pretend problems but they love it problem solve so.
0: i love that this has been fantastic thanks for your time
5: thank you
6: my name's lee slister i am a science coach in region two so i live in grangeville idaho and i'm new this year um to this role and i'm really excited to be working with with the teachers in this area and trying to help um teaching and learning become what it can be.
0: Nice. Have you taught a lot of different grades in your experience or mainly one? Or what's it look like for you?
6: Um I taught um I've taught everything from um first grade to eighth grade and I have endorsements that are K twelve.
0: Nice. So you're like the Swiss Army knife of
6: <laughs> kind <education>. of <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, tell us a, a, about why you wanted to become a teacher. I mean, did you always want to, or is that something that came later in your life, or what's your story with that?
6: Well, as a high school student in the 1980s, that'll reveal my age, um, I didn't listen um, to every interest survey and personality inventory when they told me I should go into education. Um Instead, I studied communication with an eye towards corporate training, and uh, it was a couple of decades later um, in a moment of introspection, and I stumbled on a quote that invited me to kind of reconsider that. It went something like, where the world's great need meets your deep gladness, that's where you are called to serve, and that struck a chord with me. I went back to college. Um, I emerged as a teacher with both an elementary and a secondary endorsement, and um, I started out as a teacher in Idaho. Um, At the same time, I also started my master's program, which is um, a little bit crazy making that first year of teaching is hard time for that. And then during that first year, my husband's work led us to North Dakota. So I finished out the school year and then I moved to North Dakota. There was a big teacher shortage. um, And I had a lot of opportunities. Um, I was willing. I was interested in learning more about everything that pertains to teaching and learning. So STEM subjects, reading interventions, behavior interventions, family engagement, all of it. Um, so I was given a lot of opportunities to participate in, um, leadership team training and train the trainer workshops. Um, and so I learned a lot of research-based practices, um, and I brought them back to my, my colleagues, um, and we, we talked about them and tried to implement them, um, Meanwhile, I did earn a master's in curriculum and instruction, and then I extended my studies to educational leadership. Um, so I started out as a classroom teacher. I went on to be an interventionist and an instructional coach and a K 8 principal. And now I'm a science coach working with the teachers in North Central Idaho, um, basically from the Moscow area through the McCall area. And so um, that's where I am now, and I'm really excited to be here.
0: <laughs> well, that's awesome. I I love your story. It's not your typical, and uh, I think when you've walked a path like that, it gives you a different perspective on education and on um, kind of your why as well. And I I I love hearing it. So thanks for sharing. I think
6: it helps me to find common ground with most any educator that I come in contact with because I I've done a little bit of whatever's troubling them. (laughs) So we can always find common ground.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, tell me what what shifts do you feel like need to happen to improve science education?
6: Well, I think my answer to that is really addressing some shifts that have to happen if we're going to improve education, Period. But in terms of science, I think every secondary science teacher would tell you that their one of their fondest dreams would be for the appropriate foundational science content to actually be delivered in elementary. Yet every elementary teacher feels this acute tension over um, how to spend their contact time. They are stressed and they are stretched um, with all the demands that are being placed on them that tension is a tricky thing to navigate. And as far as I I can tell, the only answer is to integrate across the curriculum. So right now in elementary education, there's a lot of buzz and excitement related to the science of reading. And that is as it should be. Um, The research is there and it deserves our attention as educators. And I believe that if we're gonna truly pay attention to what the research is telling us about how we nurture good readers. It's going to help more kids become literate and well-read adults, and that is worth pursuing. But it's important to note that the science of reading is not just about learning to read. It is also about reading to learn. Um, Learning to decode words is absolutely foundational to become a great reader. However, decoding is a far simpler thing than learning to comprehend. And the science of reading is not telling us to take science out of reading. It's telling us to make sure that the prescribed content knowledge is being built up in our elementary ELA lessons. So um, I think one of the reasons why we get confused about that is the era of standards um, as it's emerged in education. um, We have thought a lot about the strategies for comprehension. And we've gotten really ultra focused on that to like find the main idea and the details, to compare and contrast, to sequence events, uh, those kinds of things are all important. But in the process, we made some false assumptions that if kids knew strategies, they could apply them to any passage and it didn't really matter what the passages were that we were gonna give them. Um, However, when kids don't have the background knowledge and the relevant vocabulary to really understand the reading passage at a deeper level, they're not going to take away any depth of meaning. And they don't have the schema to be able to retain and retrieve the information that they read. So because of the science of reading, we know that we need to be able to decode, yes. And we know that good readers are strategic about attending to their comprehension. And we know that good readers need content knowledge. They, How can we infer or analyze or even use context to help understand if we don't really own the context of the idea that we are reading about? Um, There's a famous study called the baseball study where um, kids who had high reading levels, but didn't know about baseball, ended up doing much more, um, I guess, worse, ended up doing worse on this um, passage, the comprehension of this passage, um, than kids who had a high knowledge of baseball, but were low Readers, in terms of the strategies, so if you can decode the words, that's fine, but um, sliding home means something in terms of a context of baseball that decoding the words is not going to give you, and um, so another problem has been that with the advent of the internet, we started to believe that people didn't need to know stuff anymore, um, and we lumped lots of things, too many things, under the heading of memorizing. And we called it drill and kill. And we, we, we demonized the idea of um, needing to know stuff. And um, we said, well, they can look up anything and everything on the internet. And that might work well, except for some key issues. Like, do we know enough to know what to type into the Google search to find the answers that we're looking for? Um, Once we type something in, what level of credibility can we rely on when everybody's trying to sell us something from political platforms to name brand sneakers? They're trying to sell us something. And um, how are we going to judge credibility of a website? when We don't have enough knowledge on the topic to engage in critical thinking. So if we're not able to produce innovation and problem solving on our own. We're gonna be just consumers of other people's thinking, not producers of our own thinking. And today we might be thinking that AI is gonna take care of us, but faulty input gets faulty output. And um, we need to we need to understand that the internet and artificial intelligence um, are, are things that are going to be present in our world, um, but they have a purpose and their place is not to replace human ingenuity they exist to support that ingenuity. And um I I guess I feel like there's a really good reason why the graphics we see of Bloom's taxonomy are built with remembering and understanding taking up this huge foundational role at the base of the triangle. And higher level thinking, where we apply or analyze or evaluate or create, that requires the foundation laid by prior knowledge and basic skills. So if we fail to ensure that prior knowledge is in place, the higher level thinking skills are unsupported. And when we as educators are looking at our students and we're wondering why it's so difficult to get a coherent, relevant response when we ask a higher order question, Uh, we might want to take a look at whether those students have a good inventory of relevant ideas that they can build on. To put it in like a pop culture term, MacGyver and Indiana Jones didn't become resourceful problem solvers with having a deep well of stuff that they knew. And um, when we're expecting kids to have 21st century skills to communicate and collaborate Uh, to innovate and create, um, those things require um, that they have a substantial amount of shared vocabulary and an understanding of the world around them. Um, So as well as the diversity of perspectives that our culture seeks right now, you have to have both something shared and understood between you and something unique and relevant to bring to the table. Um so I guess in terms of how do we solve that kind of knowledge gap, um, educators have to confront this falsehood behind the alleged dichotomy of it's either ELA and math, or we could do the content things that the, the standards prescribe um, in terms of science or social studies or health. We have to learn to read and write and speak and listen about science and social studies and health and so on. Math. Um, We need to realize that we are not limited by the boundary of the current reading level of the student. Um, Kids can learn by listening and speaking. They need both the receptive where they are listening or reading and the expressive where they are speaking and writing to lock comprehension on anything. And so the 3D approach to science instruction, the do, think, know patterns, um, they train the brain for comprehension. Teaching and learning science in the ways suggested through our Idaho standards would do absolutely nothing but enhance the comprehension skills and the expressive skills. Plus, it would provide a lot of real world context for computational skills in math. So those are things that I think would really help us as a nation, as a state, um, as districts in our own classrooms. Those are the things that would help. Overall, that's not going to be a quick fix, Um, but um, another thing that I think really helps us in that our, our state has provided for us is the progression documents. Um, that are on the website, on the state's um, website, that will help you know what the um, prerequisite knowledge, if they're coming in to your classroom in a secondary classroom and you're like, they don't understand what I'm talking about. um, Those progression documents can really help you to go, well, these are the things they need to know. So I guess we're going to start there and we're going to cover those quickly. And then we're going to move to the content that I'm responsible to teach these kids. And um, that organization of what would be the vertical alignment really helps teachers. And so um, those are some things that I think would help. (laughs) Sorry, that was a long answer.
0: No, I I love that. Um, Let me just ask you one follow up. So okay. if there was an elementary teacher who really is buying into this, like, I need to integrate. I need to like use the content of science to help my kids further the reading and their thinking, their understanding, but they're, they're not, they're not sure where to start, like with integrating anything. Like what, where would you point them? Like what would be the first thing that they would do to start trying to integrate some stuff?
6: Well, um, one one strategy is to look at your reading writing curriculum and see what are the places that i can um bolster it with like um some some do practices some um so for instance if i have a story that is in my reading um curriculum that is about um, surviving in the wilderness, how does that connect to science standards? Like what, what could I, what can I connect to there? And, um, what informational text could I bring in to, to supplement this? Or, um, in some place, in some places, the science is right there, but we're not really discussing it, um, and locking it in with, with things like, um doing a short hands-on project that really brings it all home for them. And so um I would look there. I would also look at um anytime I'm reading aloud to ask the question um is is there is there um informational text that I, I could share with my students. Like, do they want to learn about um, dinosaurs or whatever those things are? Can I, can I connect it to my standards and can I make it really um, come alive for them? So um, another thing is, is that the science coaches, we now have science coaches in every region. Um, some regions have more than one that are serving that area, um, and a science coach is a free resource um, for the districts. Uh, the state is paying the tab, and as much as we um, as we might want to help, we have to be invited in, and so. Um, i think that the districts and the schools get emails and newsletters and um uh, phone calls and we aren't trying to sell them something we're trying to give them something <laughs> so.
0: yeah. No, that's a great way to to look at it i think that's a great um that's a great way to end with that little uh, invitation like take us up on our offer, like we're here to help you integrate and um, get more, more thinking into kids' heads through doing science and and help them. So I love that. Thanks so much, Lee.
6: All right, thank you.